Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 81. World Cup qualifier drama. Yeah, the international break is going. It's pretty fun. It's been good. There's, uh, well, I mean, it's been an interesting last week and a half. Uh, There's a few big stories that have rumbled on. No doubt, in my opinion, the biggest one has to be what happened in Brazil between them and Argentina. And we will get to that, but I would like to sort of touch on a few of the other regions of the world, a few of the other federations. I want to start with Europe, and where else would we start than CR7? Because every single time, there's a moment where some record's up to be broken, he goes, does it, and at the same time, he brings back these GOAT conversations and these debates that just rage on and on and on. Is he better than, you know, R9? And of course, we're going to talk about now. He's got to be better than Messi because of his international record and all that. Okay, first of all, I'm just going to go ahead and say before I I talk about what he did, which was exceptional, people need to really slow down with this whole debate thing about a number of goals, for instance. Lionel Messi, when he plays in qualifiers for the World Cup, he does not get to play against Malta, Azerbaijan, he doesn't. The, the the worst teams he plays are Bolivia and Venezuela. And if you saw the game against Venezuela or any of the highlights, you saw that he almost got butchered. And it's very very difficult in South America. On top of that, you don't have to qualify for Copa America, so there's just fewer games where you get to sort of play against mid level to weak opposition, where you can just rack up goals, which Ronaldo has done for a long time. So please stash the most amount of goals debate as a comparison between him and Messi. And also, look, there's no doubt he has better longevity than R9. So that's why he's going to have more goals. But the question then becomes, really, to me, it's which one inspires you most. And there's there's your goat. There's your goat. All right. Um, let's move on to actually what he did. CR7, Cristiano Ronaldo scores an absolutely terrific brace. Two headers very, very late in the game. Stoppage time goals to beat the Republic of Ireland. And the the first one, love it, the Joao Felix cross. But what I love about what Ronaldo did here, he sort of starts to check in towards the post as if he's, you know, going to ask for a ball down low. And I think what he does is he realizes that this is going to get clipped, that Joao Felix is going to get under it and put it in a in more of a header zone. And he just steps back. And it's instinct. And, I mean, they didn't talk about it. You don't see him motioning. I'm, I'm stepping back. You don't see him yell. He just realizes what's happening. And as soon as the, the ball is being touched, he takes a step back. Very good header on the first one. The second, though, whoa. I mean, to start behind the defender and fade to where they really can't see you, not even over their shoulder, you're just right behind them, and then to come out around and surprise them and, and really go up in the air to where you're leaping from the side of them in front of them. He doesn't just run in front and jump and head the ball. It's it's an outstanding piece of athleticism. We've seen it many times from Ronaldo, but this was really, really, really good. So, I, I mean, awesome for him to break this international goals record on the men's side. Please, you know, everyone keep remembering Christine Sinclair, who has a lot. I think it's like 182 on the women's side. It's insane. So, moving on from that. Uh, Sweden. Decided to wear the Sweden kit today, if uh, you've seen the video. If not, 
just be with me in this uh, moment of celebrating the, the the gold of Sweden because they pulled another result against Spain. They got a draw in the Euros that was not enormously impressive. I mean, they did well to bunker down, but Spain, I believe that day, had something like 82% of possession, uh, over 800 passes compared to Sweden's 100. I mean, th- this was very different. This was much better from Sweden, scored two very good goals, and it wasn't as much of a park-the-bus kind of thing. It looks like Sweden are actually developing a certain level of confidence in what they're capable of and what they can do. Alexander Isak looks better and better. Emil Forsberg has just turned into this, like, cult here. He's defending. He's attacking. He's, he's been brilliant. So I, I love what Sweden have done here. I've made the group really interesting because Spain now, um, they're only one point ahead in the group at top spot. But Sweden have two games in hand. So... This is shaping up to be a really, really good contest all the way through the end. Switzerland, they've put themselves in a very good position after collecting a really, really valuable point against Italy. Jan Sommer getting a little bit of his, you know, some of his heroics that he brought from the Euros. And, okay, before we go any further, I I, I really don't like doing this kind of like dogging some player. But the hype on Jan Sommer is interesting. Like, remember, the guy plays... Not for a top, top club. Like, he's at Mönchengladbach, does well, but he is not a goalkeeper that you see and you're like, oh, man, like, this guy's got to be at the next level. The reason why is because have you seen some of the errors he's made this season already in the Bundesliga? And go back to the group stage of the Euros where he had a few, let in a few goals that should not have gone in. What he is, is very good at penalties. And there's also something here, the side story, that Jorginho and his penalty-taking technique, the little hop, is starting to get found out by better goalkeepers. Jordan Pickford did a really, really good job in the Euros of holding his ground, waiting for the shot to be taken, knowing Jorginho's not going to get all that much power by hopping before he hits the ball. So if you wait and force him to choose a side at the last second and do the best he can to hit it, Hey, if you're athletic and you and you make the right movements, you can make a save on those. And so Jan Sommer, really, really well done. Maybe maybe showing what the way is to stop this penalty. How much nerve do you have to have? But uh, the Swiss, they've got two games in hand, four points off of Italy. So it, this is also just like the Spain-Sweden group shaping up to be really good. France, wow. So I was I wrote everything down that I wanted to record. And then this morning, I was going to do my recording before these games started. Of course, I didn't get to that on time. And what I wrote about France is that they've been just genuinely awful um, in qualifying. And uh, pretty much overall, even since the Euros, you know, we saw bits and pieces of good things from France. But we just, like, flashes, right? We, we haven't really seen a full performance Today against Finland looked much, much, much better. But against Ukraine and against uh, Bosnia, they, they were just not very good. They were just they, they were poor. They conceded first. They had to get goals, not, not from the most clear, obvious situations. One's a corner kick that gets headed off of Griezmann's back and goes in. Um, then there's the Martial goal, which is kind of a you know weird mishit ball that ends up in the net. And... The two goals that they conceded were pretty excellent. So to get a shutout against Finland is very good. For Griezmann to score two goals and the first one, my goodness. 
little um, just excellent interchanges of play between he and Benzema. And, and, and there were a few different situations where the one-twos or the double one-twos and the overlaps and the interchanges and the third runners, all of this looked really good at times. Of course, they do still give up moments. I think that Finland should have been given a penalty. I have anyone who sees that. Okay, it wasn't a clear and obvious mistake from the referee to not award it, but when you go into VAR and you do a forensic look at it, it looked to me like Pogba actually fouled Puki and not Yoris, which I guess they got half of that right, but not the other. So we'll see. Look, France, I still think Deschamps has lost it in terms of how well to put the side together. The 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 formations tend to be different every couple games. The personnel is different every single game, and wildly so. And it just doesn't look like there's a smooth thing coming. What I will say is, if the play goes through Benzema and then Griezmann through Benzema, I mean, great things happen for France when those two are involved. Not having Mbappe in this last game maybe showed a little something. But I look at France for the World Cup in guitar and go, are they going to defend their title? I don't know. It looks pretty sketchy at this point. Anyway, Lukaku scores again, gets his 67th goal uh, for the Belgian national team in his 100th game. Pretty impressive record. Eden Hazard also on the score sheet. That it's, it's funny. It's weird that like Eden Hazard scoring a goal for Belgium in a World Cup qualifier is somehow newsworthy. But that's how his career has been over the last couple of years. Hopefully he can carry this form back to La Liga with Real Madrid. And look, we all want to see. We all want to see him do well. But second spot in that group is turning out to be a real dogfight. Wales got a stoppage time winner from Gareth Bale for him to complete a hat trick uh, against Belarus. And the Czech Republic, they were beaten by Belgium. So Wales are on six points with three games played, and the Czechs are on seven with five games played. So you can see this is very, very much, it's a dogfight. Big opportunity for Wales. The Czechs are very good. I'm sure they'll, they'll make a run back. Everyone has to play Belgium, unfortunately. That's the tough part. Denmark, wow, they are cruising. I mean, they smashed Israel today. Uh, they they're six for six now. I mean, they're just they're just blowing it away, and they're really showing us that you know they're not just a team that you know had to ride some emotional wave in front of a home crowd at the Euros and just made a deep run in a tournament. This is a very quality side, and they still don't have Christian Eriksen. So this is I, I'm I'm really impressed with with what Denmark are doing right now, and very excited for them really. Most intense group, and this is, as I was writing this, it was really, really even. There's been a little bit of daylight that's happened today, but it is Group G that has Turkey, who at the start of the day were in first on 11 points with Holland and Norway behind them with 10. They'd all played five matches, so it was looking like it was going to be just really, really tense. And it was not at all for Holland against Turkey. One minute into the match, Depay and Klassen connect in the box with an unbelievably nice 1-2. Klassen scores. Then they do the same thing for 2-0, where Depay gets the goal. Depay then scores again on a penalty. He scores then on a header. And, I mean, it, they, they just ran riot. And Turkey had a man sent off. I don't remember who because I wasn't really paying attention that much to the game. but Because I was watching France. But, um, yeah, I mean, really impressive. Norway played Gibraltar, and they went ahead and won 4-5-1. Uh, so now it's getting really interesting. Uh, Norway and Holland both have 13 points. Turkey are on 11. It's going to go, I believe, to the wire because these three teams are going to need, need, need to beat the teams below them. There's, there's no doubt about that. So 
really, really exciting the way that's panning out. And un- unfortunate in a way that one of these three teams is definitely missing out. Now, I, normally I root for Turkey because they're such a fun team in tournaments sometimes, right? They were so disappointing at the Euros. Holland, I would love to see. I mean, I think they're a fixture in international tournaments. They should always be there. And then Norway, it's like, how can Erling Holland not be at the World Cup? Right? You just want to see that. So I guess that's really what Turkey are dealing with in terms of neutrals perspective on that. Russia and Croatia, they share top spot now with 13 points. Slovakia on nine, Slovenia on seven. It's going to be Russia and Croatia fighting out for that that top spot. And when next time they play each other, it's 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 going to be huge. And speaking of huge matches against top teams, tomorrow England will play Poland. It has to be one of the major fixtures to watch of this whole week because, look, the Robert Lewandowski, I think he's at that stage where he needs to come up big in big games and especially this kind of a game because England are cruising in qualifying against everyone else. You saw what happened in Hungary. They went and won 4-0. And they were having such a blast that when they were having cups thrown at them from the stands, they just started picking them up and chugging whatever was in there, whatever left was in the container. Uh, beer? I don't really know. Probably. But, yeah, I mean, interesting what's going to have to happen with Hungary. Obviously, all this debate of, well, they had a ban. fan. They had fans banned from the stands because of what happened at the Euros, but because the Euros are not... Um, you know, a FIFA, like World Cup things. It's a different competition. I don't really get it. I, look, if you're going to ban fans from a ground because of their behavior, you do it for the next game. You don't say, well, in two competitions or in a month when it's this again, I, it's stupid. Really, really dumb. It doesn't really send the message correctly, and I think that that's something that we'll get to again in, in a, at the end here. Germany thrashed Armenia. And look, I know that sounds like, oh, well, well, they won 6-0. But Armenia were top of the group. So now Germany have taken top spot. I don't think they're going to look back from here. And, well, look, when Serge Gnabry shows up and is on fire, you're guaranteed bangers, which he delivered. And Germany tend to look really good. Now, I want to move on to CONCACAF because the European thing, there's, there's still a round of games tomorrow. Those need to be – we need to wait for those to roll through to really dissect how the last few – windows of this are going to go but the CONCACAF qualifying is hilarious if you go ahead and look at the table you'll only see you'll see everyone's played twice only two teams have even won a game at all Panama got one win Mexico has two everyone else has either been drawing or losing and from a United States perspective wow this is a disappointment they started this window saying you know you got Weston McKinney and you know, Christian Pulisic and different guys talking about how confident they are, how, how they want to do it. Weston McKinney was saying, we want to dominate this region. We don't just want to win games. We want to dominate games. They were talking about having a nine-point week, right? Three games, three wins. Uh, well, they drew against South, El Salvador, which everyone was like, well, see, you can't just take it lightly. But, you know, that's okay because El Salvador is not easy. It's not an easy place to play. The, the grass is long. You can tell when you watch the game. Crowd's tough. So, look, that can happen. But then when you play a home game against Canada, and, it, and and look, Canada are not the weak side that they were 10 years ago. Canada are good now. But if you play at home against Canada and you take the lead in the game after having not been great in the first half either, there's a real e- enormous responsibility you have to actually close it out. And the U.S. could not do it. Lead lasted, I think, only seven minutes. And then I think Canada were the more positive side 
in certain parts of the game, especially in the early moments. And then they were able to carve out a few opportunities at, even after they equalized. The U.S. is now on two points after two games, and they go to Honduras next, which is not going to be easy at all. They The best they can do is five points. It may end up three, and in a disastrous scenario, they may end up with only two points from their first three matches. Like I said, Mexico are cruising. Panama have a win. Uh, the Ticos from Costa Rica look really a shadow of what they've always been. But... You've got El Salvador, who has woken up a little bit, and Canada, who is much, much better. And so you start to wonder, from a U.S. perspective, is there a 2017 repeat happening here where they couldn't win in Trinidad and Tobago? Uh, it's it's starting to look a little bit difficult for the U.S., of course, tons of time. But from my perspective, when I watch them play, I, I don't know. I, I, I see a lot of ideas in terms of different personnel, different people. What I don't see is a very settled basis on what to do to get control of a game. I know long possession is something they want to do a lot. I I get it. But at the same time, saying you want to do a nice, fluid, amazing style of play, that's what I want to do with my teams that I coach. But the reality is you have to get certain basics down first. And it doesn't really look like there's a spine in place, like there's a very settled idea and core. Of course, it was hard for them. They didn't have all their best players this summer for the Gold Cup. They did for the Nations League, but then the team changed. So, look, there's still time. I'm not about to jump on Greg Berhalter's back, but I will say this. It doesn't look great, and it looks, once again, like that arrogance is just starting to creep in, and I don't really love it. So, now we've got to talk about Conmembol. My goodness. So I'm, I decided, all right, I'm going to watch Brazil-Argentina, see how that goes, and hoping for not a repeat of the Copa America final. Like, can we actually have some good football here? A few meaty challenges in the early stages. I thought the referee was doing a good job of trying to get between players and not let arguments erupt and last long at all and trying to get the play moving again. And then there's just like a bunch of people on the sideline, just tons and tons of people. And they don't look like press. Like, there's guys in suits. There's dudes in gray vests with some kind of decal in the back. I couldn't tell what it was. And then the game stopped when they came on the field. And it took about three, four minutes, maybe, of just watching this, not knowing what on earth was going on, before the commentator said, now, this is just speculation, but I think that these people are from the Brazil's Ministry of Health. And that was when... Yeah, everything resurfaced, you realize, ah, the Ministry of Health, that's right. There were four players who it was dicey as to whether or not they'd be allowed to play. Turns out that was considered uh, a no-no. Now, look, for Conmembol, this is an embarrassment for Brazil. This is an embarrassment for Argentina as well. It's a mess. And after reading into all the different reporting about what happened, listening to different experts and, and people who were in Brazil you know, people who are correspondents around the world, just reading different things. It sounds like it was literally one giant set of misunderstandings, miscommunications. I I would imagine there's certain people who made some kind of an agreement that was fluid, and then someone else decided, well, we've got to do something about this. And I look, pretty much from everybody, there is fault, right? I I would say the players, the four players, Emi Martinez, Emi Buendia, 
uh, Christian Romero and Giovanni Lo Celso from Argentina, I would say, look, you decided to travel with the national team. You know that Britain is on the on Brazil's red list. So it's like you should think about the fact that it's probably not a good idea. But at the same time, these are people who aren't just like, you know what, forget it. I'm doing what I want. I don't care. I'm showing up. The Argentine FA also has to double-check this. They're not going to call players up knowing that it's going to be a problem for them to play. So they had to get assurances from somebody. They got, probably got assurances from Conmebol, maybe the Brazilian FA. But then there's the Brazilian Health Department and government that got themselves involved in different ways. Look, the, the, the idea, this is one thing that I heard that I thought was spot on, the idea that there is that the Ministry of Health could not find any way to get access to the Argentine players. Uh, how far is the Ministry of Health away from the president? Because if they were dead serious about this, they go to Jair Bolsonaro and they say, you get the federal police to find these people because we need to talk to them now and deport four guys who shouldn't be here. If, if, if that's the protocol, then how on earth does that not happen? I mean, it, there's stories of they were knocking on the, the training room door an hour before kickoff, and no one answered it. Oh, whoops! I mean, this is this is bizarre. And then to wait for the game to actually start, not not blockade the tunnel, or I mean, to wait for the game to get six and a half minutes in to walk on the field. What this shows me is, first of all, no one is on the same page ever about anything and it's driving me crazy so managers and players for instance when they are on the field the same same as officials like the, the four officials none of them are wearing masks okay they're you know all of the players and officials they're running around fine in a lot of games and leagues players on the bench especially ones that have just come off a lot of the time not wearing masks and some they are uh then you have the stadiums where you know, in some countries, they are mandated to wear masks. In others, it's like, well, if you're vaccinated, you can come into the stadium and, hey, no one has to wear masks. Then you've got press who are like standing like six feet away from an athlete talking to them. Athletes not wearing a mask. Media personnel is, right? Now, again, all these things, they have so, there's so many reasons for why. But you start to ask yourself, what, is, what are the common reasons we can all agree on? How is it that some countries have some on a red list and others, it doesn't exist at all, right? And different countries are handling this completely on their own. New Zealand, they have one case. They shut everything down to avoid an outbreak. Okay, I respect that. That's fine. But at the same time, in other countries, it just is not working like that. So how as a global community are we going to come back from this? I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting sick of COVID. As if, as if anyone is not sick of it by now, well, the reason I am tired of it is that we are not doing a very good job as a commu as a global community and as different people in different places to find ways to make life work. Yes, we have to adjust in certain ways, but when you see what happened here in Brazil, it's like, you know, how much posturing was happening, right? Is there the Ministry of Health guy going, if this game goes ahead... I will probably get fired and called into question because four players who were supposed to not be here are here. And we've tried to do negotiations. We've tried to have conversations. Apparently they think they can play. Maybe we didn't make ourselves clear. I'm going to get fired. I'm walking on the field. I'm taking my guys. We're going right. It's like, where was everyone else? 
I, I just, I find it amazing. And so to me, what, what I, the one thing I really want to impart on everybody here as I close out this episode is we don't need to consistently fear everything anymore. We have to start facing all these problems head on and find solutions because look, I've got family in France and England and you know what? I would like to be able to go there at some point in the future and not feel like if I go to one and then I try to go to the next and I got to quarantine for 14 days and this and that. It's like, we got to get to a point where we figure this out and where situations like these, these giant misunderstandings where everyone is playing by who knows what rule, we're not going anywhere, right? So we, we've got to get to a place where we work together on this and where people aren't, you know, people in suits and bureaucrats aren't just saying, well, I need to do my bureaucratic job and then, you know, people in the media saying, well, you, you know, footballers should play, but they should also respect all of health regulations and make sure we're saying, uh, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. Find solutions, people. Try and bridge gaps between each other. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This was 81. Take it easy. This is Campfire Football. Bye.